Welcome to... Hey! Great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Wednesdays, we break down all the Division I men's action. And much like on yesterday's show, for really the first time this season, we have just about every one of our top teams across the nation in action. The ITA kickoff weekend officially in the books. We know the 16 teams that will be competing in Chicago for the right to be named the national indoor champion. Of course, here on today's show, we want to recap all of the madness that unfolded over the course of this past weekend. That said, it's worth noting for the first time since this ITA kickoff weekend format was introduced. We had all 15 host teams advance on the men's side to the national indoors. That in itself, certainly the biggest story we will cover today and joining me to do just that as he will each and every week here on this show is a man you know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, a man we know best as the professor, a lean, mean, vegan machine. It's our dear friend, Chris. Chris Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. We have results to discuss. How are you feeling, my friend? I mean, great. Has to be the best show of the year coming. We have real tennis from all the top teams to talk about. So, yeah, good, good way to start the year. And of course, we will break down it all. Yes, there weren't specific upsets. That doesn't mean there aren't matches we want to highlight. And by the way, it's not just the regional finals. There were plenty of valuable first round results, plenty of intriguing consolation matches that certainly we want to get into today as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do that week in, week out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, college tennis fans, players, coaches. We're immensely grateful. So many. Many of you do trust us to provide you with updates on everything in the college tennis world. We look forward to doing that throughout the course of this 2023 season. Of course, a massive shout out to our sponsors on this show as well. Our dear friends at LS who are ready to join the party. If you joined us last night, you know just how comfortable that LS hoodie is. Of course, LS offers all sorts of playing gear that I assure you, you'll not only feel comfortable in, it will bring out the best of your tennis. So trust our friends at LS. You won't be disappointed to learn more. Just click on the link in the description to this ad. Of course, you should also learn more about our friends at Swing Vision, who simply put, make it easier than ever to improve your tennis game. It's the most efficient way to get better in the modern day. All you got to do, download the Swing Vision app, turn it on, set it up at the back fence. Every time you hit, Swing Vision will do the rest for you. They'll break down your hitting session. They'll show you the winners. They'll show you the unforced errors, forehand, backhand, serves, you name it. They break it down. The technology is fascinating. The way you can learn more, click on the link in the description to this ad. When you do decide to download, make sure you use our promo code CRACK20 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, let's get into ITA kickoff weekend. And Chris, obviously, before we break down any individual match, we got to start with that big picture item. 15 for 15. 
15 for 15. I said to you at the start of last week's show when we were previewing all of the action that we thought more than anything parody is what would be on display throughout the course of the weekend. That the gaps between the best and everyone else had narrowed to the point where this season, if we saw a wave of upsets, it should shock no one. We saw zero upsets. Should we all be shocked? Yeah, I mean, I. I'm what would the money line on 15 for it would have been like plus 50,000, you know, because you're you're parlaying all of the favorites. You're parlaying 15 favorites. I don't think it would have been plus 50,000, but you probably would have gotten 20 to one odds. 20 to one. I'd have bet all day long. Yeah, I I delay. I I mean, there's no I mean, no way. I think the odds have to be higher than that. Yeah, I delayed the. I'd have bet the 20 to win the one all day on that. (laughs) Yeah, that that all. With as you as we said, like well, I think we had seven seven locks, so eight open, and some of them were, you know, they were open, but a decent favorite. But some of them were just flat out, like I mean, you know, straight up, almost 50-50 shots. There's no way you get it. Yeah, that that it's just unbelievable that in the year that had the most availability for upsets, we get none. Yeah, and what's also most fascinating is in that same theme. We only got one four three match. A lot of four O's on the board. A lot of four ones on the board. Now a lot of those scores are misleading, and we'll unpack them for you today as we talk about what actually happened in all fifteen of these regions. But look, the big guns flex their muscles, and we want to talk about that. Certainly, who looked best? What were your takeaways? But we got to start with the match of the weekend. A four-hour thriller in Knoxville, a match that saw so many twists, so many turns. It looked at one point that Tennessee had it in the bag. Tennessee takes a very tightly, very tightly contested doubles point uh, between themselves and Oklahoma. Then Tennessee goes on to take four first sets, and so typically that doubles four first set uh, formula, so much success for it throughout the course of college tennis history. But this Oklahoma team was one we highlighted certainly last weekend throughout the course of our offseason, as well as one that will just get frisky. And certainly with the returners they have, Alex Martinez, who had a massive fall and a lot of good future success as well. Jordan Hassan, Nathan Hahn, of course, you bring in All-American Sifosatando Monsi over from Illinois. This was a good team. They showed as much. You had five three-set matches throughout the course of this one. The first set that finished last, Angel Diaz's 7-6 set over Anselmo, that was the first match off the court, which just proves how the twists and turns of this match continued. Of course, you had Johannes Monday serving for the match up 5-4 in his second set against Alex Martinez. Martinez works his way back, takes a second set 7-6. Monday goes up 3-1, only to see that lead evaporate. Now all of a sudden, he's down 4-3. Now all of a sudden, he's serving for the match again. Of course, during all of that, Blaze Bicknell, who had never lost a dual match prior to his career at Tennessee, who took a couple of losses to start this 2023 season. He grinds his way back to a three-set victory. Ultimately, it's Monday, 6-4, 6-7, 7-6. Tennessee, 4-3 victory over Oklahoma. Just what the doctor ordered for this Tennessee team, was it not? 
Well, yeah, I thought the doctor ordered a little with, you know, with a little less, uh, uh, you know, angst, I think. But uh, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, and it didn't like you said, they 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 look good early. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you look up and they're they're down three, two, and they need both Bicknell and Monday to finish at one point down a break there. And I mean, it's definitely I mean, I think we all thought they'd pull through at home. We all knew Oklahoma was good and had a chance to challenge them. Even at that, I didn't think this big a challenge. I mean, uh, hats off, hats off to Oklahoma here. And, I'm, and I know you're going to ask, I don't know, does this say more about Tennessee or more about Oklahoma? I mean, for sure, it tells us Oklahoma's legit. And and they're, you know, that puts them, we've always, we've kind of had for the last several years, the the big three and then the next three in the big 12 is Oklahoma, uh, you know, here on the precipice of making it the top four uh, and then maybe the other two that could be. And is Tennessee still one of the top three in the sec? Uh, You know, I don't know. Very well said. Look, let's start on the Oklahoma side of things because they lose this match for three. This team could very well, be at the national indoors and they would fit in just fine. And there are a couple of things I would point out again from this match. A, it was when we had the call of on our crack rackets broadcast, Tennessee was up two one. Well, first of all, they were up one Oh for about an hour, 45 minutes. And then they were up two one for about another hour. And then all of a sudden, For the first time in the match, again, Tennessee's up 2-1. They take doubles. They take four first sets. Where you have to credit this Oklahoma team is they never went away. And it started, you know, Hassan flips things on Mitsui, takes a three-set win there. You had Monsi, who had no rhythm in his first set against Emil Hud. He found it. And then when it was go time, and I I believe he faced a match point down in that third set. He was down a break late, steps up, connects on a backhand passing shot, does the thing Sifo Monsi does, which had four singles, again, on paper, his best tennis. You feel really good about him at that number four spot. All of a sudden, it was 3-2 Tennessee, uh, 3-2 Oklahoma. And all of a sudden, Monday's struggling at one. And Bicknell and Han are in a second set breaker with Han up a set in that match. And it was just amazing that for three hours, Tennessee was down on the scoreboard. And then all of a sudden, it was 3-2 Oklahoma. And just, again, to put themselves in that position after being down for as long as they were, to play Tennessee even. On five of six singles courts, even six, like that first set was an absolute toss up between Anselmo and Diaz. It says this Tennessee team can be top 10 good. Uh, Excuse me. This Oklahoma team can be top 10 good. It says that to your point, Texas, TCU, Baylor, you got to and not that they didn't have it before, but you now circle Oklahoma as a match you have to get up for because Oklahoma is going to beat someone at some point this season and it shouldn't surprise anyone. That said, the bigger takeaway, Chris, I'll answer the question for you, has to be this Tennessee win. Because to watch them lose the way they did to Michigan, where they were just listless, where the bounce, the fight, the edge that has defined this Tennessee team during this past two-year run, it wasn't there. And then they go and lose to Wake Forest, a team that is always good, and we're going to talk about them in a second. But they lose that match 4-3. And to see them switch the lineup, and by the way, talk about the best January lineup switch we've ever seen. Because, like, 
the double teams at Michigan was just a bad choice. It just was. You had Harper and Mitsui, who are individually great doubles players. But if you have big servers in Monday, in HUD, in Bicknell, in other guys you can pair them with, you got to do it. And that's what they've done. And they've won doubles points since with the Harper Monday, Hud Diaz, Mitsui Rodriguez combinations. I'll take Shinsuke, Mitsui, and you, Chris, at three doubles and think you got a shot. Um, Great adjustment there. They're waking up in the singles lineup slowly but surely. I don't know if this Tennessee team can win a national championship yet, but I do know that this Tennessee team can beat anyone on the right day now. Can they beat TCU at home tomorrow? That's a great question. I mean, but what are, are like, where are you with Tennessee after that first weekend? Was it because it, it wasn't a full recovery the way? So the Oklahoma women who had the similar brutal weekend, they go out this weekend and they put the smack down on Texas Tech and Minnesota. Tennessee didn't do that. No, yeah, I think it's but this is even better. It's yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, it, it's good. You can it, it really depends on how you, you know, you're going to be biased by probably how you wanted to look at it before the weekend, because if you were sort of a little down on them, you can look at it and say, wow, they went four, three really tight at home. They should have won. But if you were really high on them thinking, yeah, it was just a rough start and they're going to get going. And you, you can look at it and go, Hey, they got pushed. Everybody wants to get pushed and come out on top. And it's a good thing in the long run. I think you can take it either way. I just, I think the way that I did not expect them to be uh, you know, as certainly we knew the Michigan match was tough. Look, hey, I've got Michigan, uh, you know, ahead of them. So it's not and and it was at Michigan, not a match. I actually expected them to win. I did expect them to win at Wake. Didn't really like what I saw, you know, some other issues besides just on court going on there. I'm just not sold until I see it. What I think is we'll see what, how they look. You know, they've got some matches before indoors, right? They're going to play. TCU and they're going to play at Columbia um, before they get to the indoors. And then we get indoors. And I actually think that if it's going to come around for them, and that is to me for this team to come around, it's not, it's not what these guys can do on the court. I, we need to see them be playing as a team gelling together. And if they get together as a team, they're very dangerous. If there are a bunch of guys out there just playing not so much. And I think getting away to Chicago as now sort of everybody looking at them like, ah, they're not that great, that it that gives them the edge that they need to really get together and fight and and a good shot to pull them together and, and show that. I mean, we know they've got the talent. Well, that's it right there. This was their quit moment. This was the moment where after winning for three hours, it wasn't good enough. Now you're down 3-2. Monday, you had your chances. You've blown them. Big Snell, who cares? This is a new year. It's a new team. I'm not invested yet. That was the moment to quit. And they didn't. And that's where it's like, that's where I had a coach who used to always say, that could be the turning point. And it's January. But you honestly say to yourself, because they needed it, Boy, that could be the turning point. You didn't quit. You pulled through it. Hey, guys. Sorry, Westoff. Let's get our shit together. Like, this is the moment where enough is enough. Like, we can do this. We've proven it. We got to four. Let's get our act together. Come Chicago. And I think this is the moment for Tennessee to do that. And so, again, tough loss for the Sooners. Much needed win for Tennessee. And you're right. They're going to get tested tomorrow. TCU comes to town. 
You've got Columbia on the schedule as well. Then you've got the national indoors. You got to turn it on now. That has to be the turning point. We'll see if it was for this Tennessee team moving forward. Of course, a longtime foil for Tennessee has been the Baylor Bears. And that's who I want to talk about next because Gil Gross provided us the stat of stats as he joined us for our cross-court coverage and particularly the Baylor Bears matches at the end of Friday. Baylor was 22-0 when participating in a kickoff weekend style action, or they had always, when participating in this event, ultimately proceeded to the national indoors. Well, they had a really tough test as a top 10 team was in their region in Florida State, a Florida State team that had already knocked off Georgia, uh, of course, This Baylor team also had a tricky first rounder in taking on Arizona State, and certainly Murphy Cassone is a guy many can consider maybe the guy this year in men's college tennis. And, you know, again, when any team comes in with the best player on their roster, that always presents a difficult challenge. That said, talk about a whole being more than the sum of the parts for these Baylor Bears who just found it in so many different ways this weekend. Obviously, you look for the Bears 4-2 win over Arizona State, 4-2 victory over Florida State as well. In each match, this team ultimately goes on to take the doubles point. And that that proved critical for them in each match. Of course, it was interesting to see Teddy Paralek clinch each of the matches for these Baylor Bears in three sets as well. I do think that's a little data point for all of us moving forward. But Chris, if you'd have told me 15 months ago that Ethan Musa was not only participating in the lineup, but that he's winning kickoff weekend matches for this team at the number six spot, doing battle with Florida State there in the regional final as well, to see Big Z, Jumbor, uh, Veltz, Click. I want to call him Jumbor Piros because that's the pro. Jumbor Veltz <laughs> clinch, or not clinch, but you know play as well as he did as the freshman throughout the course of the weekend. The big one to talk about, though, as we look at this Baylor team, this is the Marco Miladinovich we thought we were getting last year. Oh my God, Chris, was he good this weekend? And the Bears advanced to the national indoors. They ain't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, crazy. What for? That was the standout to me. I mean, look, let, let's. I mean, when Baylor plays a good team, they're going to be. It doesn't matter who they play at one. So I'm not picking on Finn Bass because he's the guy that's there right now. They're going to be an underdog at one, no matter what, right? So, so that's going to be a, a a spot for them that's going to be tough. And now, you know, you look and and what we saw or didn't see because he didn't even play that much last year out of Miladinovich was was what do we get there? And and honestly, the guy he beat in Petrovic should really be the number two on this Florida State team. LP has been awful at number two for Florida State. He was their number one last year, kind of there by, you know, uh, you know, precedent, if you will, uh, or, you know, he, he's he's holding that seat. But but Petrovic has been good. And Milodinovic just absolutely annihilated him one and one. I mean, that was that was the big shock to me. I've heard a lot of good things about Z already, so I I wasn't surprised to see what we got out of Velch. Um, yeah, but wow, that Milodinovic that that saved him. Over under, I'll call Jambor Velch Jambor Piros ten and a half times this season. 
Yeah, it's going to be close. No, I mean, to your point on Miladinovic, having watched his match, not just uh, in in the Florida State match where he wins one and one, but against Arizona State as well, you couldn't hurt him. And it's just like the physicality, the dare I say, really freaking good at tennis nature you would expect from a guy who was a former world number two junior, who's not the biggest guy in the world. So, you know, it wasn't the weapons. It was the physicality. It was the ability to craft points. He was just so much better at tennis than both of his opponents. And there was a confidence. There was a decisiveness. I mean, he just went out there and kicked butt. And again, if this is the Miladinovich you're going to get in the middle of the lineup, the one who we thought we were going to get at four last season, that's the guy he was this weekend at three. That's a serious piece who can go out in the country. You know, again, when you're starting to do your match calculus, you're saying, you know what? With how well Marco's playing, we feel pretty good about how we're playing at three. I mean, Teddy at two, physically, the shot making, just he's got it to be in that number two spot. And, you know, he played two physical matches where, simply put, he just he made more balls than the other guy. And, yes, the cramping with LP at the end of the match for Florida State, certainly if you're a Florida State fan, you're frustrated about that ending. But Teddy was going to be there regardless of what happened with LP. I mean, again, Chris, the big thing is we talk about this team maybe coming in uh, without a big gun. You know, Adrian Boyton's not walking through that door. But Teddy, Miladinovich, you know, Wampy struggled this weekend, but this is a guy who now with two losses this weekend matches how many dual matches he lost last year playing at that five, six role. Big Z, you feel like maybe he moves up in the lineup as the season progresses. Muse is going to muse up like all of a sudden this team has real depth, Chris. And now that we've seen it in action, we get to know the freshman. We know Marco was hiding in the garage. Um, you know, it's just, and they and they've taken the car out, by the way, and they're like, no, no, no this is the Miladinovich. Um, yeah. You know, where are you with this Baylor team moving forward? Big picture. Yeah, I mean, I think big. Obviously, they're good. Big picture, I still have, regardless of who's at one or who's at six, they're the spots you have to beat them at. I mean, yeah. uh, you know that that's where you got to go. Corners, I, as we like to call it. Yeah, I, I think it's great what we saw at Miladinovich. Look, I. I, I I'll be honest, what I saw last year, and you can come up with lots of definitions for the term, but he was soft. And when I say soft in that term, it is push him into a corner and it's too easy to make him quit. He wasn't ready to be physical like you saw this weekend. He didn't have that fight. And, you know, he over the course of the year, obviously, he's found something and he's ready to go out there and claw and fight and be physical and not quit now. And boy, did he look good. I but I love I love Teddy at any position. If we see that Miladinovich, I like him anywhere. I think you're right. I think be, early on this season, we've seen Wampy struggle playing up where he is. We know how good he was at five and six last year. If you can possibly play Velch up at four, get Wampy back down to five. I think you do. I think two through five. They're rock, rock solid. I mean, you can play though, and you could almost really play those guys in, in in any order. Although, like we said, Wampy's game really is better suited to be a little lower in the lineup. I like him there. I just boy, having a having a, a tough spot at one and six when you're playing the top teams puts that much more pressure on doubles, which look, they won doubles. Uh they're not gonna be a bad team. 
I'm, I don't think I'm ready to say they're national championship contenders, but for sure are, you know, can they be in the conversation for making the final site in the top eight? Yeah. That's perfectly put. I'm not ready to put them in the elite bubble yet, but good luck going through this team. It's going to be war. And look, I kind of like Musa at six. It gave them that little bit of an edge, that energy, that wild card you need somewhere in your lineup. And look, do I think Coach Woodson looked at the schedule and said, night match, let's play them indoors. I'm not going to say the answer is no. Like, uh, I, I don't think you can. Um, though, for what it's worth, they did play the night uh, the night previous outside. You know, that said, I look at this Florida State team, Chris. They really do have depth everywhere. I don't think LP played poorly. Certainly in set number two, you saw the LP that went, what, 15 and seven at the one spot last year for them. You talked about Finn Bass. He goes 0-2 this weekend. Let's be clear. He played Murphy <laughs> Cassone and ACC, who yeah. are probably two of the five best players in college tennis. Yeah. So, like, rough, yeah. A rough weekend. Uh, no matter how you do, it's a that's a rough weekend. Yeah, no. He looked at the kickoff draft and gave it a middle finger right away. He was like, really, guys? Like, come on. No, um, for the Florida State side, yeah. what, I, what I'm honestly looking to see is – if and when is Barney cracking the lineup? He played dubs, right? He's good enough. I mean, for those that don't know, you know, double hip surgeries for, for Barney between his A&M and debuts at Florida State days now. Uh, so obviously a lot to come back from. He's been playing since, oh, from over the summer through now. He's in the lineup in doubles. Uh, it just gives them another option. Yes, they've got the transfer and Connell playing now. They've got Carpenshift Schiff still at six. Who's? I mean, look, I saw a fair amount of Carpenshift Schiff last year's, you know, a couple matches against Florida. I mean, I like the lefty. I just think this best, the best version of a Florida State team has a healthy Barney Smith in the lineup. Yeah, I thought Carpenshift Schiff was fine. He was so frustrated by the end of that one. And boy, would he love to have the middle two games. I think it went from either 3-2 to 5-2 or 2-1 uh, to 4-1. But he kind of quit when he saw LP. Was, it quits the wrong word. He lost focus when LP went down with his ankle uh, cramp or whatever it was specifically. And then all of a sudden it was really close at the end of that third set. And he was down when probably he shouldn't have been. And had he gotten things to three all, maybe just maybe things get a little weird. I mean, for what it's worth, by the way, Baylor dropped four first sets against Arizona State in singles. They came back to win that match. They take the four first sets tonight. That was the big thing. This Florida State team just got a little bit too, you know, they were down too big too early. And they just had to fight their way back from too big of a deficit. That first set at five, Velts flipping things and taking it over Connell that really felt like the dagger and you know again credit to this Baylor team I agree I think this Florida State team's really deep really good as well they're in this Baylor tier of like I don't want to see them in the round of 16 I don't want to see anyone in the round of 16 because there are 16 really good teams this year uh but yeah, Baylor advances to the national indoors. That's huge for them as well, considering TCU, Texas get there from a rankings perspective. Again, just keeps that top eight pathway alive. Look, I, I thought they both looked good. I do think this is one of those regions where it is worth pointing out San Diego 4-2 over Arizona State in the consolation final. Chris, any final thoughts on this Baylor region? No, yeah, I mean, it, look. It's going to be a tough year for Arizona State. The for the for the Sun Devil fans that were looking forward to the year, 
No cash hands lick. Doesn't look like he ever got eligible. Axel Garcia never comes back from Europe. I mean, those are guys you were looking at as probably being like two, three on the team. So now, you know, obviously Murphy's a stud. He's going to, you know, you're looking at a point there every match. Hope If you're them, hopefully, you know, maybe when you're playing Steph or somebody, it's going to be tough. But uh, yeah, it's tough. And Sandy, but I think that's a good, that's a great win, honestly, for, for San Diego coming back in a team that, you know, you're losing August Holmgren and, and that was a, an Arizona state team that put two points up on Baylor. So yeah, I, I think those are four. Um, that's going to be four good teams to watch. I think Arizona state's going to be in for a long year. Yeah, I will say San Diego has gotten wins now over A&M and Arizona state to kick off this month yeah, of January. That's, that's a great start. Yeah, that's a great start to getting yourself locked into the NCAA. Yeah, you lose Holmgren, you lose Seb Ray, you're still kicking it uh, if you're Coach Keckley. So, again, things going well for the Toros, certainly. All right, let's move on to our next region, and I promise we're not going to spend 15 minutes on all 15. Those are the two. Well, I got one more region I want to do a little bit of a deep dive on. Is Wake Forest good? That's the question we ask ourselves just about every year. And certainly Coach Bresky teams have earned the benefit of the doubt. It's funny. I was talking, I think, with Jay about this very topic and, you know, that Bresky technically just the two national championships, right? NCAAs indoors in 2018. That said, let's not forget, they make the finals of both events in 2019. And again, last year, they win a match at the national indoors. And, you know, this is a team that's perennially just in the hunt, in that conversation. And we never know exactly what pieces we're going to end up seeing for this Wake Forest team. That said, you look for Wake, who gets two impressive victories, 4-0 over a veteran-laced Auburn team, 4-2 over Middle Tennessee in the regional final you know, they've beaten uh, Tennessee 4-3 already this year as well. It's hilarious. Well, let's let's play the game because you know what Coach Bresky likes to do. Through the month of January, what's the team's record, Chris? What's the team in like singles? Yeah, what's what's their dual match record? Oh, I I don't even I'm going to I'm going to say their uh, you, you mean just the team record. Yeah, the team record. We're two weeks into the season. Oh, they have probably already played double headers with, you know, somebody central state, Northeastern, whatever. Uh, <laughs> they're like eight. No, that's exactly it. They're eight. No, you got there. Eventually literally this team's already eight. No, that's just welcome back. College tennis. Yeah. You've been missed. Uh, but again, for this weekend, Maroney, if who obviously those are two veterans, as we like to say, turns out Tachi's real tough loss for him against Middle Tennessee, but a, a solid performance was battling against Auburn. They go Karamov at four, Thompson at five, Lopez Dazcona at six. I mean, again, like. I'm pretty sure if I check my email, I might have something from Tony. Like, what do you think about playing three doubles for two matches in March, Alex? Um, I still don't know what this roster looks like. I'll say this. I've liked Lopez de Azcona so far this year. I think Maroney looks ready to be in that number one spot. And then, you know, again, I'll take Melios anywhere at a, like, Two hours, put it on the clock. That's a guy who has the, you know, who is the link to Wake Forest teams prior. I ask you, Chris, is this Wake Forest team good? I mean, you can't say no. <laughs> I, they, look, they're they're winning and they beat Tennessee, but 
golly, I still don't feel good about it. I mean, I don't like the the five and six spots. You just you have to beat them. Tennessee couldn't do it. I don't ask me why, but I mean, hell, Tennessee's got the same damn problem, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and and Middle Tennessee couldn't do it. Well, what's even but but then to me, what's more worrisome is, yeah, Middle Tennessee doesn't have that depth that these other top teams are going to have. So Wake Forest is able to get out of there. But then they lose at three and four to Middle Tennessee. I definitely don't feel good about uh, about that. I don't know that I really love Maroney as a one. Uh, I, boy, there's just so many spots where I think. But, it, but, but it's again, more like I view Maroney as that Finn Bass, like he'll get frisky. Like he'll every match, he's not going to be losing two and two out there. Yeah, I, I I kind of like the I I like the other version of the team where they play Melios, Melios. at one sure. and, and and Maroney at two, but but it's you know it's what this is what good teams you you look at the team you go golly I don't love it I think they could lose but then good teams find a way mm-hmm. and it, in one match it's going to be yeah Tachi and Karamov take a loss and they probably shouldn't have but the next match Tachi and and Karamov win and and Melios and and Thompson lose or you know whatever the case may be but they find a way to get their four points I don't think that's you know that's not a sustainable path to again to the you know the final four in the NCAA's is it a sustainable path to be challenging again for a you know in the round of 16 and you're battling for a final eight spot probably on the road Sure. I mean, I, I think they're that good. I just, I, I'm not even ready to say that they're a quarterfinal team though. I, you know, I'm, it's a round of 16 team. They're good, but boy, some of those top eight are just going to be too hard to beat on the road. Well, this was an interesting thing because this is the tier you'd put them in with teams like Auburn and middle Tennessee and Duke, and they beat all of them. And that's a testament to this wake force program. It's testament to coach Bresky who remains one of, if not the best coach, probably right now, match in, I'm saying in match coach in college tennis, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, like these guys just win. That's what they do. And it's a credit to them. Now, this is one of those regions where I want to talk about the other three teams, though, because Middle Tennessee, Duke, Auburn will all look at themselves as top 16 capable programs. Let's go quickly through each. Auburn, scale of one to 10. How big a disaster? 0-2 0-2 this weekend. And by yeah, the way, not, 0-2 and they don't win a point. Not good, right? Yeah, the <laughs> the coming back, I mean, tough, tough match on on the second day against a Duke team that they obviously probably didn't think if in the consolation, that's the team they were going to be playing. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm definitely worried. Again, we've talked about the team, not the team that's going to blow you away talent-wise on paper. You don't look at them and go, yeah, we're scared of those guys. You're scared of them because they play as a team they play well, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a well-bonded team. And coming out like this, maybe it's just, maybe they just need a little time to get into the groove. But yeah, it, that that one's worrisome for me. Yeah, they lost two and one at the sixth spot against Wake Forest. And, you know, again, Merge played well this weekend. Stice did his thing, but, you know, some of the, it's just finding the pieces and they lost some doubles points. Like Auburn won a ton of doubles points last year and they go 0-2 in doubles on the weekend. They were closer than the 4-0 score lines that they seem to indicate, but yeah, that's a tough weekend. Duke, we said it. If it's not this roster, what's the roster for Duke that's going to be top 16? Here's the thing. They get the 4-0 win over Auburn. 
it 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 avoids disaster for the weekend. You're disappointed, but that's a good four zero win over Auburn. It's a good bounce back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a good win, but. Boy, what a, I mean, I don't, I can't, as, as high as our prospects were for the team uh, to go take that 4-2 loss to to Middle Tennessee, that, that had, that had to be just, you know, draining for them and to turn around and beat Auburn the next day, you know, you're going to respond to that one of two ways. You're either just going to quit or you're going to come back and fight. And at least they came back and fought, but I don't know. It's a, it's definitely definitely worrisome uh that you know they lose lose that match to to middle tennessee and and boy you know four five six all of those spots to middle tennessee team that we just said after we saw what happened with wake forest probably not you know depth not their strength you know slump and rosha very good up top Modal solid. He did, he lost at six, but he's not a bad player at six. No, no, not not bad, right? But yeah, I just ah, uh, I don't know. It, you take all of these results, and then I'm biased because I sat, I watched Middle Tennessee at Mississippi State, and they yeah, take yeah. the doubles and still lose after taking the doubles to, to Mississippi State, who you're not putting probably not at least not yet in the Wake Forest class, right? So. So yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to put all, piece all that together and make sense of it. I think just a just a poor match for Duke there. Yeah, fair. Well, you brought up Middle Tennessee. Obviously, that's a nice win for them over this Duke team to get their season rocking and rolling, put them back in the top twenty-five conversation. It's a crew you saw most of last year, and they were top sixteen frisky all year long. Would have loved to get a shot at the national indoors, certainly. But uh, again, I think Middle Tennessee is going to pose the same sort of threat that they did throughout the course of last season that said you bring up mississippi state they played in one of our more surprising results we saw on the weekend and so where i want to go next three host sites that we circled as potential upsets where ultimately the host teams advance i ask you chris what surprised you more stanford with all the boss of issues how they looked in their first match of the weekend against Georgia Tech. Stanford ultimately getting through 4-1 over AM. Florida, who, again, loses all six starters from last year's NCAA team. They come in 4-1 wins over USF, 4-2 win over Mississippi State. Or do you go with UNC, who we knew was going to have some battles? And certainly I want to talk about that Harvard-Columbia match in a second. But UNC 4-0 over Oklahoma State, 4-1 over Harvard. Again, three pretty definitive victories for three teams with plenty of unknowns surrounding them entering the year. Who surprised you most, Chris? I mean, given that I took Florida and North Carolina and I didn't take Stanford, I guess I have to say Stanford. Uh, And I probably stick by it. I mean, I knew we knew Florida was probably going to get tested and they did in, in that match with Mississippi state, but I, I just had a feeling they'd find their way through. I think really the question would have been, is it, was it Stanford or, or North Carolina? And I don't, something just told me, you know, North Carolina at, at home they're not as weak as people think they might they might be. They are deeper than you think. Stanford was the team to me that was more surprising. And they all, I mean, they almost blew it day one. I mean, Georgia Tech almost took them out in that 4-3 match. They they haven't shown it yet. They still didn't show it to me this weekend until 
you know, a big flip in singles on the second day. They didn't look great the first day. They dropped doubles after pulling Vasavaretti the second day. Not overly impressed, but they found a way and they flipped the singles matches. Still not, I mean, maybe, you know, a couple weeks will give them time to get a little healthier. Clearly after day one, the Vasavaretti uh, Spaziri impersonation is not in form uh, and that they need some better health there. I was surprised that they managed to make it out of that region. Look, they've got the SEC Pac-12 Challenge this weekend. They and USC headed to Orlando, going to take on Georgia and Florida, respectively. It's a jam-packed weekend, by the way, and I see questions about the weekend in the chat. Austin Collin pointed out earlier Stanford played a 4-3 match. I said there were no only the 1-4-3. I said only 1-4-3 in the regional finals, Austin. Only 1-4-3 there. Yes, Stanford, 4-3 in match number one over Georgia Tech. Here's the thing, especially if Bossoretti's not healthy. It's going to be take some work to get to four. They're going to have to do it in different ways. They needed a three-set victory out of Rajesh to clinch things against Georgia Tech, you know, against this Texas A&M team. It, it was a completely different pathway, right? It was Banerjee clicking at three. Obviously, they got Chaudhry had a, a pretty solid weekend as well. Kulazinski, the win at six. Um, the other big thing is look, Basing might just be that guy at the number two singles position. A two and six win over McDaniel, a five and three win over Hildebrand. You know, he's very, very good. And let's not forget, by the way, there was a rain delay in this match. It got a little funky in the regional final between they and AM, who got a pretty solid win over Pepperdine the day prior. Still, like, we have questions four through six for this team. Or three through six, really, if Banner, if uh, Bosferetti's not going to be healthy. And like you look overall at the three through six positions, you know, they go five and three overall on the weekend with who they have up top, Ferry, Basing, who are going to be able to do some heavy lifting. That's a good start for the Stanford team, a nice recovery after they lost to Cal in the opening weekend. And again, we're going to get to see them tested right away. Here's the big thing. They get to the indoors and like for a Pac-12 that it's going to be hard for them to find a top eight team, right? One of USC or Stanford has to go two and one at the national indoors this weekend, has to get uh, in two weekends, has to probably at least earn a split against Florida, Georgia. Like you'd really appreciate a three and one weekend between these two teams over uh, the two SEC opponents. This matters for the Pac-12 because I'm not sure they're going to have the depth of other conferences. And God, like, again, it's just what Stanford needed. Yeah. And this, this, this weekend matters because for both of those schools, I mean, these matches are going to go a long way towards determining the seeds for indoors. And what you really don't want to be is one of those, you know, bottom four seeds, which could very easily, you know, let's say Stanford goes this weekend and they go, Oh, and two, they're going to be one of the bottom four seeds for indoors. And, you know, those are not the, you, you, that's not the position you want to be in. Yeah. I, I think that, I think it's, you know, we know they've got the talent in the long run. If you're, if you're a glass half full Stanford guy, Hey, you got the, you, you pulled boss already back out. You get more experience for the other three guys beyond, beyond Samir. And, and now you get to see, you know, who are the two that are going to play and, and get valuable playing time for them. Uh, because obviously Basavaretti is going to be in there and Benerji is going to be 
you know, in the lineup. And now the question is, who are the last two guys? Uh, I, you know, they've got talent again. Like there's so many teams we've said this about, wow, great top four questions at five and six. And it's going to be the same thing for Stanford when they get a totally healthy questions at five and six, but yeah, it's going to be critical. I'm with you. Someone needs to go two and one at worst, make a run. USC certainly seems to be the one more poised to do it. Let's see what happens this weekend. I mean, I don't what for this weekend, the more intriguing match to you, the Georgia USC match or the Florida Stanford match. I mean, they play each they'll play cross, right? But I I look at kind I of like that. Stanford because I kind of know what USC is. And I actually think USC is in a tier above the three teams else also competing this weekend. I want to see Stanford play these two SEC teams. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I do, too. And I think that that the Stanford and especially given what we saw from Bossov already, I'm kind of leaning towards thinking we probably don't see him, uh, that maybe he's just really not ready to go. yet. Well, I do think that was just a one match experiment. It was let's try the slice backhand. He takes an L. It didn't work. They didn't try it the next day. Right. And so now let's say we don't see him again. Now it becomes intriguing. I think Georgia might be asking too much. But who knows? They can obviously they can still battle. But the Florida match to me becomes the really interesting one. It's a Florida team that we saw come through their region, but still a lot of questions about them. Now we've got a lot of questions about a boss of already with Stanford. That to me will be the most intriguing match of the weekend. It's not going to be the one that decides who comes out on top, I don't think. But it probably is the one that we all have the most eyes on. Wow, Chris is intrigued in an SEC match. Another news, water, wet, wow. story at 11. Um, no, well said. Obviously, you look at that Stanford region, you're really disappointed if you're A&M because they've just been a group for a while now, and you feel like you had your chance in that Stanford match, particularly given they didn't have Bossa ready. Good bounce back from Pepperdine after it was a really tight match with A&M the day prior. I also thought Georgia Tech looks frisky, right? Like coming out of this region as well, Chris. Any final thoughts on this one? Yeah, and Georgia Tech after losing Chen Dong. I mean, yeah, I yeah, I that better much friskier than I thought they were going to look. I think that's that's encouraging for them. Uh, yeah, I'm really uh, I'm disappointed. You know, knowing A and M and some of the SEC teams pretty well, I, I'm disappointed there. Great double start, even good start uh, of singles against Stanford, and then you know. I don't know. And a guy, I look at a guy like Luke Casper, who was towards the last half of last year, was like a lock at the bottom of the lineup, just not not able to put the points on the board this year. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's going to take them a while to get going, but definitely uh, I'm sure they were disappointed after the start they had to not come out of there heading to indoors. Yeah, we have a lot of regions left to discuss, so I'm going to start cutting both of us off at the one-minute mark. I do want to talk about those other surprises, though. Florida. First of all, SMU goes 0-2 on the weekend. Two, four, three losses, Mississippi State and South Florida. Oh, that's a gut-wrenching weekend for two team, uh, for a team that's very deep. South Florida, nice 4-3 win against an SMU team that sort of had their number last year. But the big thing, I mean, the depth on this Florida team, like Axel, who we knew was a very good number one at Notre Dame. He's come other. He looks that role once again. Outside of that, like Grant, Greif, Narundorn, um, 
I'm blanking on the other players, obviously in Florida but singles lineup right now. Bonetto, like, yeah. But Neto, who we got to see in action finally. And then Tokan Togach. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a deep team. Like again, they, you feel like they're a team that's well, going to be in that 12 to 20 category where they're like on the fringes of, we'll see them in the super regional. And and that, like that was the perception I think coming in. I think they're no longer on the fringes. I think you just realized this is a very deep, very good, very young, but very deep team. Yeah, and and on top of that, Benetto coming back off injury, we didn't see their top freshman who, you know, I mentioned before, FYI, by the way, is like the top UTR on the entire team. Uh, so you can't feel bad if you're Florida. Those guys are still coming they yeah a tough match i mean they made it they made it difficult with mississippi state but they found a way they pulled it out and they're just getting healthy and healthier as the days go by so i think things you know good things ahead for them you have two sentences mississippi state thoughts on the weekend uh, new guys look great uh, i very encouraged by by all the new guys and i'm you know I don't know. If I fit that into two sentences, but I. No, I think you are. I think this is still a long clause. It's one long too. rambling. Yeah, yeah, no, no. The first rambling. one that was like a yeah. definitive look, six word. Joyanovic, Benito Sanchez, you and Lumsden. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, these guys—they all looked good. Uh, I'm encouraged for the SEC season for these guys, and again for them, they've got the late January freshman that we didn't see. Uh, so, so more to come there too. Well said. UNC, the big thing, how do they beat Harvard? It's not Cernock and Segerman at the top, and we know how good those two can be. It's three, four, and six, and doubles, and they win both, uh, excuse me, three, five, and six against Harvard. And by the way, Will Jensen goes 2-0 and on the weekend. They win doubles in both of their matches as well. They're in this tier. Like, again, that nine through... 20 tier of teams who all think they should be hosting regions come the NCAA tournament. And they're all very deep teams with no clear definitive weakness when playing most of the college tennis world. Now, again, when you start to get to the best of the best, it's that they have strengths everywhere. Maybe this UNC team's not quite there with their combination of experience depth at the bottom of their lineup, but they're going to, they're going to beat a lot of teams. Like they're going to be a very good ACC team, a good win over Harvard who. Played a great match with Columbia. Like they dropped the doubles point, still win that one. By the way, looking at Columbia's singles lineup with like uh, Zhang at one, Kotzen at two. I forget who the guy who played that, uh, who also had the junior doubles success, who was a freshman last year, sophomore this year. I'm blanking on. Yeah, who's like at four. I like look at that Columbia team and I'm like, man, you're going to beat someone this year. Harvard. You're going to beat someone this year. This is why I say it's the 9 through 20 tier, because I do think Harvard, Columbia, and UNC are all in the same tier. UNC was at home. They played the best. They looked the best. But, like, come another match, neutral site outdoors, I don't know who I'm picking. I liked all three teams this weekend. Yeah, I'm, if I'm North Carolina, I'm super encouraged. If you tell me I'm going to win my fi- – I'm you know, I'm going to – comfortably win the final match over Harvard and I'm not getting a win out of Cernock or Sagerman. I, I mean, I feel great. Uh, you can't, you certainly can't be discouraged with that. And, and like you said, yeah, that, I mean, Harvard looked rock solid against Columbia. Um, I, I think it's just kind of the, when we did the picking beforehand, we had seen more of Harvard. We felt a little more comfortable and I just still feel that way. I'm, I'm not sure Columbia has got talent. Uh, for I we know they've got the talent. I don't know if 
they've got it with just one through six and can put in a, a complete match yet. Haven't seen it. Uh, I, I hope we get to see that soon. But yes, they're and those they're obviously going to battle again. You know, in the Ivy League, that those are two really good teams that I expect to probably both be top sixteen. Uh, you know teams coming hosting the first rounds would have really helped if one of them could have gotten to that national indoor site for the whole ivy league unfortunately the ivy league shut out but yeah i agree with you i think harvard columbia they're going to beat someone throughout the course of this year all right let's move on to our next category and again this is where we sort of rapid fire through everything here i did this with jay yesterday i wanted to do this with you as well chris give me your top three performers from the course of the weekend. Top three hosts. Let's start at the number three spot. Who you got? Top three hosts. I think at three, I'll go Michigan. Okay. Well, interesting. Why? I mean, look, they. I, it wasn't like they had a huge, the, the problem, I can't put them too high. They didn't have a huge challenge. Yeah, a little frisky Northwestern team, but you know, I thought it was a it was a spot that they could have got upset and they just they dominated. They they should have won and they didn't go in and, and win a four one four, you know, four one tight or four two tight match. They they took care of business with a couple four O's, which is what you're supposed to do. I I mean, I think that's they're definitely one of one of my top performers. You're wrong. Um, they had no business winning that match four oh. We had it on our broadcast. Trace Pickens has a high forehand volley that he will make 97 out of 100 times. He <laughs> sails it on match point. Michigan comes back to take a 7-6 set at number three doubles. Now, Gavin was serving for the match at four, and uh, and Trice, to his credit, comes back there, forces a third set, comes down to a 7-6 in the third, Styler over Yatsuk. And I would just point out to Michigan fans – who clinched 7-6 in the third the last time this Michigan team made it to the final site of the National Indoors, Chris? It was Styler all of those years ago up in Minnesota. So, right, that was in Minnesota, I want to say, where they play that. or Because it was a northern host With, site. Wisconsin you're talking about? No, 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 no. But where was the region? It was them. It was Old Miss. It was Texas Tech. I feel like that Felix Corwin team was top 16 the year prior. And so they got to host a region or something like that. Anyways, mm. all of this is to say um, Northwestern played them so close. And like Foreman and Maloney were in a third set. Uh, Cooksey and whomever and, and Brathholm maybe were in a, a, a third set at six as well. It wasn't 4-0. Like Northwestern should have won doubles. If they win doubles with the way the things were trending at the other courts, who knows how this match finishes? And let's be clear, this is the second year in a row where Northwestern has Michigan in doubles. It's on their racket. Last year, Michigan escaped with two 7-6 sets. This time, it's escaping from a match point. You're kicking yourselves if North if you're Northwestern. That's just why I can't put Michigan on this list because, yes, they get through 4-0, and that's huge for them to get back and get a look at all these top teams once again. But, like, it was high-ray robbery, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, they they, they do what you do what you got to do. It's that that's what separates the good teams, though, right? Is they take close matches and they make them look not close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, then my number three team, I'm going to go with South Carolina, who earns four O victories over Penn and NC State. Now that Penn match got frisky at the end, and you know NC State was in some pretty good positions on other courts in that 4-0 victory. Not some pretty good, but certainly competitive positions. That said, 
I know it hasn't been the best start for NC State this season, but two definitive 4-0 wins. Samuel looks like a guy at that number one spot, and I think we have to take him far more seriously. They have depth everywhere. Lambling, Thompson, Story, Beasley, just like guys you know have played big matches before. I thought Casey Hool was fine throughout the course of this weekend as well. They win doubles points. They're always going to be well coached by Coach Goffey. I need to say their track tennis cameras were the best cameras of any host site we saw across the country. And shout out to Coach Goffey. We say there should be a rule in college tennis. If you're building a new indoor facility, for the love of God, make it six courts in a row. They actually do exactly that. And, you know, we call it like we see it. They did it. You got to give them a shout out. It's a gorgeous facility. And they played tennis worthy of the facility. And now you have a 4-3 win over North Carolina. Four O's here this weekend. If they're not in the inner circle, Chris, they're the top of the next tier. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely they've put while we watched our some of our other SEC teams kind of maybe work their way down a little, uh, you know, they've been pushing themselves up and they, yeah, they yeah. look they look really good. And they I also like have the most continuity. They also have the most continuity right now of all the SEC teams. So like Georgia, Florida. Tennessee, the piece are still learning how to work together. This team has been together for a while, as you see in the photos on your screen. Um, You don't have bad photo ops unless you've played some good matches together. Um, Yeah, like uh, I was really impressed by them. They're number three for me. Uh, And by the way, shout out to Coach Bonfiglio, who I'm pretty sure is coaching Han Solo right now. And like, can you imagine trying to manage everything and you're the only head coach or you're the only coach out there? That's crazy. All right. Who's your number two? Boy, I mean, I'm going to go Texas. I have Texas as well. Make the case. I mean, look, they had that. They had a frisky first rounder after Cal goes and takes out Stanford. All of a sudden, this is no longer, you know, there are no easy matches for them because they're looking at having to play Cal and then undoubtedly having to play Stanford and and yeah, they get they get a four one win over Cal, but that stand or the and having to play Arizona. I'm sorry, that Arizona match that we've seen them play Arizona multiple times uh, over the past several years. Just I mean, look, it was I expected a, an absolute war of a battle, and we had lots of seven six seven five sets, but it wasn't the four two four three match where it was like, boy, if the, if one of these matches swings, it could go. Yes, they were all close, but they just, I mean, again, they did what the good teams do and they, you know, they beat them 4-0. And I think every single, I think every match in them in there, probably, they probably all had a 7-6. I mean, they, a lot, all the singles matches had, I felt like had breakers in them or 7-5 sets to, or something like that. But close singles matches, they just came, they found a way to come out on top in every single one of them. I still have questions about what the doubles lineup will look like, but they lose it day one. They win it day two. Spaziri is exactly who we thought he'd be at one. Waldeep and Harper right now are exactly who we thought they'd be at four and five. Braswell's getting healthy, and whoever of he, Spaziri, and PY is at three, you like them in every match they play. To Braswell's credit, he's 2-0 and this weekend. I don't know how healthy PY is. I'm still not sure how healthy Braswell is. 
Chi-Chi's going to Chi-Chi it up at that number six spot. But again, they're so good one through five that as long as Chi-Chi and he's more than capable of playing 500 tennis at that six spot, uh, that's really what they need out of him. Good wins, and they got better throughout the course of the weekend, and they've gotten better in the matches they've played. 4-3 over Georgia, 4-1 over Cal. I thought their 4-0 win over Arizona was the best we've seen out of them so far this season. I agree. I think they have to be number two. I would also point out Cal's really good. Like, Cal might finish. Let me ask you this right now. Where does Cal finish in the Pac-12? I mean... Arizona, I, I, SC, Stanford, gonna, where are you going to put yeah. them? <laughs> here's, here's the problem. I say they're behind I say they're behind Stanford and, and USC, and then I got a group of, uh, you know, of teams like uh, Arizona, UCLA, Cal, maybe throw in a, a, a Utah. I don't know that I think it'd be asked. It'd be really optimistic to say they're the top of the group. So I'll say they're second in the group and they finish fourth. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting bet out of you. I was intrigued, certainly, by these Cal Bears. All right, I, I'm going to guess we have the same number one team. Who's your number one? I mean, do I do I have to pick from the teams that we haven't talked about already, or I can pick anyone? You can pick anyone. I mean, if you're asking me where the best performance was, because I'm, and I don't know where you're going to go. Virginia, too easy a region. TCU, too easy a region. Ohio State, too easy a region. I have to go back and say the performance was out of Baylor. All right, that's a very good pick. <laughs> they would probably be fourth on my list. See, I'm going to go the old-fashioned route. Did you watch Ohio State this weekend? Like, oh, my God. They we they actually might be that good. And, like, here's why I like this team so much is because Cannon, J.J., Trotter, Boulay, Cash, Luchonic, pick any of them. They are all third years or older. Like, I think Tracy's the youngest of that group, the only junior. The rest have all played at least three or more seasons of college tennis. And it's like for the 19th straight year, Chris, Trotter's at five. And it's just like a joke. And like they they destroyed or cash doesn't have a knee brace anymore. And like he's killing people at that number six spot. It's just like as good as the teams have been over the years. As experienced as the teams have been over the years, this team might be more experienced than any team Coach Tucker has had in his tenure at Ohio State. And you could just see it. We're like, I don't even think they played well, and they're still the most well-oiled machine right now in college tennis. And it's just like, Boulay's got weapons now. He looked legit at one. And if you're going to put Cannon at two, that's a joke. If you're going to put Tracy at three, that's a joke. Like Bernard, once we get outdoors, I think he's going to be nasty. But whether it's Trotter, Cash, Anthrop, Luchonig, they should win every number six singles match that they play throughout the course of the season. It's just like we knew they could be good. And they won both their matches in under four hours combined, Chris. Like they killed this week. They, they just looked like the best teams do. Yeah, I, the problem is it's exactly what we expected. They're at home, and we know they're that good. And I, it wasn't even enough of a test, but you can't fault them for doing what they're supposed to do. Absolutely, it was impressive. Uh, and and we've talked. I mean, uh, heck, I, 
I've got Michigan Ohio State pick for the finals, right? I mean, I think they're two of the best teams in the country. And and we've talked about the, the Ohio State team. Yeah, I mean, they're great and play them indoors at their place. On top of the fact that they're good even outside of that. Yeah, forget it. It's and and what was there for them, it it just it wasn't even a fair battle. You and I could have played doubles and singles well, and they still win. But I think the Oregon doubles point, Oregon played really well in doubles. And Oregon has some pieces in Van de Castile and what is it, Charlton or Carlton? I always forget. But um Not Charlton, yeah. Yeah, Charlton. Um who like our top 15 doubles team in the country and played Luchanik and Trotter even. But like the thing is, okay, you played Trotter and Luchanik, who's a really powerful doubles team at one even. We have the best doubles player in the country, Robert Cash at two, you know, just casually partnered with a big lefty serve and Justin Boulay. And oh, by the way, our three doubles team is Cannon Kingsley and JJ yeah. Tracy, who are just like better than you at tennis. They better not um, lose a three doubles match this year. Well, I mean- I don't know. I mean, again, you can lose a set in doubles to anybody. I mean, they're going to lose. But but that is a ridiculous three dubs team. And here's the point. It's just like they looked that good. They really did. And I'm not trying to say this to pile pressure onto them or any expectations, because guess what? The expectations are are always to win national championships. That's part of this Ohio. That's the culture and the program that they've built to be held to the highest standards. They play the role they play. And again, you're right. Like Virginia double four Oh two. I'm sure some Virginia fans right now are like, why are you holding that against? Yeah, us? Because, exactly. I said, but, but here's the thing. UCF and Oregon aren't nothing, right? Like if either or both of those teams make the NCAA tournament, I don't think it would shock anyone. And like, it just, you're playing two different sports. That was the difference. It's, it's just like Ohio state was like, Oh, that's cute. You guys play tennis. Like, no, no, no. We're a college tennis team. Like that's cute. You guys play it. But this is what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you, but it's still it's not that far removed from who Virginia played or. And to, like I said, TCU, who just rolls through over Gonzaga and Texas Tech. To me, I kind of expected that out of all of them. And I'm really disappointed that you didn't follow it up with expectations were national championships. I thought expectations were that we lose outdoors, but uh, uh, I know you can't go there. Ohio State fans, you can. Nor would I go there because two NCAA NCAA finals in like the past decade. Uh, Yeah, they're just fine. But again, it's the experience. It's that like this team is like, no, no, no. This is our fourth year on the block. And like now we're not even going to waste our time with any of this. I was was, was higher preseason on this team than anybody. I got funny looks from some of you guys like, no, (laughs) you've got them that high. I'm like, look, they're that good. And we're bringing in Bernard and Anthrop to the lineup that I don't even know if they're both going to play. They didn't this week. I still think outdoors that they probably do. But I mean, you've got you've got Anthrop sitting on the bench. You've got Lutshanig sitting on the. I mean, yeah, it's there's crazy. Way too much talent on this team. They're really, really good. Is the point I was trying to say. But all right, with that said, Chris, we're going to rapid fire through everything else because obviously we got to get to our top tens. Talk about the week ahead as well. Very quickly, anything from the Virginia region or just they look good. By the way, uh, feel free to just say they look good. Yeah, they were good and too easy. All right, Michigan. We already talked about uh, USC. 4-2 over Vandy, 4 over UCLA. I actually, Vandy, by the way, loses 4-3 to Memphis in the Sunday Consolation Final. I mean, that's a good win for Memphis. I thought Vandy looked really good in match number one. And for this USC team, 
They still got to figure out who's playing at five and six. They played around with it throughout the course of the weekend. Westray didn't have the best weekend, but of course, it's always worth keeping in mind. This team also didn't have Australian Open Junior doubles champion and and, uh, Australian Open Junior singles finalist, Lerner Tien, who was doing those things in Australia over the course of the past weekend. Were this region thoughts go? Yeah, I mean, a little surprised that it was only 4-2 with Vandy for USC. Not surprised. They won. They took care of business 4-0 against UCLA. But uh, at the same time, I thought encouraging for Vanderbilt that they go 4-2. But boy, disappointing to drop the match to Memphis uh, coming off the heels of that. A team we've already talked about. It's going to be, they're going to be looking at the bottom of the SEC. They need, they need some wins. Uh, So I think that was disappointing USC, yeah, they're they're going to be fine. Like you said, no TN, throw him in, you know, throw him in the lineup when they get back. They just get that much better. Uh, and yeah, you probably, and you get to bump everybody down a spot. Lestrate gets to get back in probably the sixth spot now. Ah, I like that a lot. Yeah, no, well said. All right, TCU 4040. We saw Fernley this weekend. Fombat three's a joke. Um, He's five on the team UTR. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Gorsney's the real deal. Yeah, um, tons of good. talent. These guys, yeah, if they're healthy, which obviously they look this weekend because we see Fernley and Jong both in front of Famba, and then you got Gorsney, and then you got Vives. I mean, uh, who's, you know, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, loaded with talent. In, in any other season, we have seven teams that would just be so unequivocally the number one teams in the country. And they're just like, why on this year of all years? Like how we say in Judaism, on this night of all nights, it's just like in this year of all years. Georgia, 4-1 LSU, 4-1 Louisville. For what it's worth, LSU, a marathon 4-3 win over Miami that they almost blew that match uh, in the consolation final good bounce backs for Georgia right after the own two start to the season. I thought they looked pretty solid. I thought Perez Pena, who I believe is their number six, uh, played pretty well in that spot. Quinn righted the ship up at one. Bride seems to be playing more confidently at four. Tough loss for Yuska against Louisville. But I think Louisville's pretty good. Like that was match was closer a than the four one scoreline indicated because Bride and Kreuter were both in third sets at four and five. Now, I think Georgia would have ultimately won the match 6-1. But talk to me about this region, Chris, what you saw. Yeah, I mean, look, Louisville actually encouraged for Louisville. We we talked about them coming in. They looked good. I, even though it was 4-1, they they didn't disappoint, uh, I would say, in, the, in that match. A really good win over Miami because, look, Miami – Miami took it to Georgia in the hidden duel they played earlier in the year. Miami swept the top four spots uh, against Georgia when they played that hidden duel. So you can't, you couldn't take them lightly. Uh, Yeah. I encouraged by what I saw from Louisville. I think very, I mean, solid for Georgia, definitely a good bounce back after their start to the year. You know, we'll see. I, I don't, I mean, Prez Pena, he looked good. Mizrah, he's not, I mean, he's going to be a better indoor player than he is outdoors uh, for Louisville. So I don't know. I make a lot out of that. Yeah. Huska's not looked great. I mean, I, I don't know how far we are from seeing Bride trying to move his way back up the lineup to, to, to number three. Uh, And, and honestly, Kreuter, I expect a little more out of him as well. Uh, and, and so, I mean, hell, you could see Hughes get five with, with both of those guys moving up, 
there may be some shifting around. I don't think we're seeing Quinn and Henning go anywhere. That's the top two on the team. I thought Kreuter just played a sloppy second set. He just kind of lost the thread. He was like, I'm going to win this match. I'm not concerned. And, you know, again, I yeah. thought he looked, he looked, played a really good doubles point, though. And I do like the doubles pairings that this Georgia team has found right now. All right. Last region. You were there. Kentucky, 4 over Liberty, 4 1 over Notre Dame. That Notre Dame match got frisky. 4 1 does not do the scoreline justice. Chris, talk to me about the Lexington region. Yeah. Well, you know, I would, I mean, in the end, we'll say comfortable for Kentucky, right? They go, uh, they go 4-0 and they go 4-1. You talk about that Notre Dame match getting frisky. They were, you know, sort of rolling through even against Liberty. And then all of a sudden, Draxel drops a set. I Alafia just destroyed it too. So they're up 2-0, but Draxel drops a set. They go and they go to a tiebreaker on three, and it's only a four-court four-court facility. They get tiebreakers on courts three and four. And all of a sudden a match gets really tight for a minute. And then they, you know, they actually clinched that match. Taha, uh, you know, gets the win. And after he wins, they're in, they're in the set point in the breaker on court three that, I don't know, I would have just dropped the, dropped the racket and walked to the net. They played the point out. Uh, Deji gets this, gets it and actually wins that breaker. But, but even that got tight. So, uh, and then Weeks was was down a break on uh, down a break on court five uh, for them against Liberty. So while it's comfortable on the scoreboard, even that got tight. And then to your point, yeah, watch the match uh, against Notre Dame. I, I all I can say after watching that is, boy, if he's on, Domenico's a beast. I mean, the guy's I don't know, he's like six nine lefty. Yeah. I mean, great doubles. Fu went, you know, played remarkable with him in the doubles point that, you know, they made it look, they made it look too easy against Draxel and Ianni in in dubs. They take the doubles point uh, and Notre Dame gets off to a good start. And then, you know, Kentucky finally, they finally get their groove, but boy, that even that match looked for a while, you know, Draxel goes down like I think it was 6-2, 6-2 or 6-3 in the first set. I don't know to Domenico. Uh, Notre Dame got off to a really good start in the singles. And when there's only four courts, you know, you're up 1-0, you've already got a set. And they looked like they were going to take three of the four first sets. They didn't, but it looked that way early. Yeah, it was a little bit of pressure. They yeah. in the end, just too much, too good in singles. They're they're, you know, you you can get on a, a minor roll against them, but boy. I'll, and I'll tell you, other than Domenico, my takeaway for the weekend, Alafia Ieni is a freak. That dude is just an athletic freak. That's he's the kind so of guy. fast. He's you, so he's fast. Kind of he's so twitchy. Doing, yeah, you see doing these box jumps that are yeah, like six feet crazy. in the air. I mean, it's insane how fast, how athletic. I mean, uh, unbelievable watching him in person. And the way, I mean, he just hits the, you know, hits the ball a hundred miles an hour every time. Yeah. Lop it up body did their job. Fun story for all of our listeners. We obviously had the chance to call the Kentucky matches this weekend. Cleveland challenger qualifying first round action. One of our cracked rackets commentators from the weekend, Will Blumberg steps on court. He's facing a lefty. He's thinking to himself, why do I know this game? Like what looks familiar to me? He goes, Oh my God, I called your match on Saturday. It was Josh Lapidot of (laughs) Kentucky who will goes on to be, but Will was literally like, why do I know? And then he, he goes, yeah, click to me like second changeover. I was like, Oh, 
I just called your match. And I was like, did you say something? And he was like, no, I'm not going to say anything. And I was like, yeah, that's probably the right move. Um, but apparently there was an instance of very good sportsmanship between the two. And Will wanted me to pass forward that he was a big fan of Lapidot, the human being. So shout out to this Kentucky team who, by the way, went and played the Cleveland Challenger as a roster throughout the course of this week. Uh, and Diallo ultimately, oh my God, the Diallo-Alafia match. Diallo won one and one. Do you know that? Yeah, I, I saw that. Diallo, by the way, was there. He's he's tra- still training with the team. He was there at the match all weekend. Uh, so he's still in Lexington between traveling and tournaments and, and training with the guys. But yeah, somebody didn't go. Is it Was it Draxel? I think Draxel pulled didn't out. Didn't go, yeah. That was yeah, Draxel pulled out. But yeah, I saw Body was there. And then you had Diallo and the Iani play and Lapidat played Will. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Well, then with that said, folks, those are your 15 regions from the course of the weekend. That's what how it all unfolded at this 2023 ITA kickoff weekend extravaganza. Westoff, give me our national indoor graphic. Just a recap. Here are your 16 teams that will be competing at the XS Tennis Center in Chicago for the 2023 National Indoor Championship. Your 16 teams we will see competing. It starts, of course, with the University of Virginia. You've got Baylor, Florida. Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio State, South Carolina, Stanford, TCU, Tennessee, Texas, SC, Wake Forest. Again, Blue Bloods up and down the lineup. Every host region, every host, excuse me, of the regionals advancing to the final site. First time that has happened in this tournament's kickoff weekend format. Chris, before we move on to our rankings, any final thoughts from the kickoff weekend? Still astonishing that they all yeah. make it through. But, you know, I, really, that's what you want. You want your you want your team. You want all the top teams to be there. No huge upsets to throw in, you know, the 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 sacrificial 0 and 3 team yeah. uh, that that is going to try to, you know, what Illinois is going to try to not be as the host with all these guys. But you don't have anybody else in there that you look that you just go, yep, that's the 0 and 3 team. Uh, yeah. Like, no, I mean, do. but even then, I think Illinois versus Florida would be a really good match. Like, I think Illinois has got some sneaky good depth as well. And so, like, I'm fascinated. I think it's going to be a really fun weekend. I have no idea how it's going to unfold. And again, to your point, we get all the big guns. So, no excuses. We will know what the power ranking is, what the hierarchy is moving forward, coming out of indoors. With that said, because we got to see all the big dogs compete. We have our first 2023 edition of our Cracked Rackets Top 10. Of course, we've got a couple of voters who we've added to our ranks here this year, but we're now ready to unveil our first edition of our men's top 10. As of right now here at Cracked Rackets, here's where we have things. We have Virginia at the number one spot, Ohio State two, Michigan, Texas tied for three, TCU five, Kentucky six, South Carolina seven, USC eight, Baylor nine, Wake Forest 10. Chris, I ask you, what's your biggest qualm with this list? Uh, whichever one of you slugs is keeping Baylor up in the rankings. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's really said more for Coach Woodson than anything else. Uh, but, you know, he likes it when we keep him out. So I voted you out of the top 10, Coach Woodson. I'm sorry the rest <laughs> of the guys put you in there. I don't know how they how they did that. But no. Yeah. No qualms here whatsoever. My only other qualm is that, that is that Westoff can't spell Kentucky. Uh, but besides that, 
Which I think that's on purpose as a Louisville fan. I mean, he's from Louisville and we're Kanucky. I don't know. It's um, funny. But no, yeah, no, no qualms here whatsoever. I mean, it's yeah, these all of these teams looked, you know, Kanucky. looked good this weekend. It's a it's very directionally correct. Yeah, I think all of us, the only teams we varied on is someone had Wake Forest, some of us had Baylor. Some of us had Stanford. Like those were the the twelve teams we were really shuffling between here. And again, ultimately, Wake Forest sneaks through probably by virtue of their victory over Tennessee. I do think it's worth noting. I don't think any of our voters had Tennessee in the top ten of their poll this week. Yeah, it feels pretty directionally correct. Like again, South Carolina gets a boost. USC gets a boost. Baylor certainly after the weekend gets a bump. Um, Wake Forest has earned that spot in the top 10 by virtue of the victories they have picked up Auburn, Middle Tennessee, Tennessee. Yeah, it's still too early to like feel particularly wrong one way or another. And so, yeah, there's there's your system right now, folks. Where does the national championship inner bubble end to you right now? I probably end it after TCU. Yeah, I think that's fair right now. Yeah, for now. Exactly. For now. And once we see Tien on USC, once we start to see again this national indoors, we reserve the right to expand the bubble. But I probably go with a five team bubble. Yeah. And I think for me, the the whether Kentucky's in or not, I need to see some more Jaden Weeks at five. Four is not enough guys if they're solid five. By the way, Chris, you want to know how much better, not how much better, but how good super producer Daniel Westoff is at his job? Look at six right now. What's it say? I, I see that. I mean, amazing. Yeah, that's why he's the best in the business, folks. Kentucky Ken, out, Kentucky in. <laughs> yeah, so there <laughs> it is. That's your real number six team. All right. With that said, let's look at the week ahead. Obviously, massive weekend in the college tennis world. You have the start of national indoor season, NAIA National Indoors in Overland Park, Kansas. Shout out to my former high school coach, now K-Dub head coach Josh Molino for putting that event together, doing so much work to make it happen. You've also got a ton of Division One men's college tennis action throughout the course of the weekend. Chris, I'm going to ask you to pick one match. You only get to get one. What are you watching this weekend? You can tell me why. TCU at Tennessee. Florida State versus Florida, that's the Thursday matches. Friday, Kentucky at Virginia, Michigan at Baylor, Harvard at Northwestern, Pepperdine at Arizona. Honestly, Illinois at Duke ain't too bad either. On Saturday, you've got the SEC Pac-12 Challenge starting USC, Florida, Georgia, Stanford, all participating there. Sunday, Texas at Ohio State, TCU at UNC, Harvard at Michigan. Northwestern at Duke. Lots of good matches over the course of the next week. What are you watching most closely, Chris? TCU at Baylor, by the way, next Wednesday. Yeah, I think for of all those matches, to honestly, as long as nobody is missing for Davis Cup this weekend, and I don't think they are, it's got to be the, the Friday Kentucky at Virginia match. National uh, championship rematch, baby. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that can't be the number one match to to keep an eye on. But like as you said, there are a bunch of those that really intrigue me. I'm, but I definitely want to see the rematch between Kentucky and Virginia. Yes, TCU Tennessee tomorrow, probably closely followed by Michigan Baylor. Uh, that's that's going to be a really good one. I mean, that's at Baylor. Obviously, you're going to kind of lean Michigan, but with being on the road again. If Baylor does it again, 
uh, like they did this weekend. I mean, you know, it, how many times do they have to do it before you go? Yeah, they're for real. And then everything about the Pac-12, uh, you know, SEC showdown uh, down south is is going to be interesting. All neutral site matches, obviously, by the way. So, yeah, that that's a good one. I'll go with Texas at Ohio State. Let's roll out the big guns. Like, again, that's two right now in our national championship inner tier bubble. Two really experienced teams as well who will have faced this sort of caliber opponent before. I'm all in. Like, that's an exceptional match. 12 p.m. Eastern time, Sunday, February 5th. I agree. Kentucky, Virginia is really good as well. There's a lot of good things on the board. It, to me, it's Texas at Ohio State. Like, come on, that's that's national championship potential preview. Yeah, I it, I I can't argue. It's at Ohio State and it's indoors. I mean, gosh, it's it's an uphill battle for Texas, yeah. but someone has to do it. That's what I'm saying. It's like if Texas, if this is their year, and we said they're a year away for seven years consecutively, Chris. If this is their year. You go and win that match. If this is Ohio State's year, as they have so frequently done in the month of February, they win this match. I'm all in. I just want to see it. Yeah. And again, there's really good battles. We already saw Georgia, North Carolina. I think there were five three-set matches in that women's battle today. So if that is any foreshadowing, folks, buckle the seatbelts, grab the snacks, clear the schedule. It is going to be a fun week ahead. With that said, once again, Chris, my deter- I'm determined this year to keep things more organized on this show, to try and keep us under an hour and a half whenever possible. 84 minutes. 84 minutes on the dot. We have reached the conclusion of today's show. Of course, a massive shout out to our friends at LS, a massive shout out to our friends at Swing Vision for their support of everything we do here in trying to promote, highlight all the exceptional action happening across the college tennis world. Here's my last question for you before I let you go. And I want to do this more with Jay as frequently as well. Let's try and give weekly, if not maybe monthly updates on these. Entering the month of February, right now, Men's college tennis. Who's the guy? I didn't prepare Chris for this, by the way. Yeah, no, you didn't. I, I, I'm. It's so hard to say because the the team just isn't there. But right now, it's Murphy Casson. See, I'm gonna go ACC right now. I think ACC might be the guy right now to watch him drive the win over Quinn in the win over Georgia. I would say he could be. It was Quinn, but Quinn, after the you know start to the season, it's clearly not him. But yeah, it could be ACC as well. ACC and Spaziri right now are in the lead in the guy. I think those are the two guys right now. My problem with with Casone is just it's not gonna it's not gonna matter for the team. But I still think he's you know he's it's gonna be like can Steph beat him because I don't know who else is. That's what I'm saying. There. By the way, Steph looked good. Oh. That's the last thing. Last, last, last take. You know who I'm pushing all the chips in on? And I'm not going to say the joke I made for Jay about this guy off the record, but all the chips are in on Alex Hoot Martins. I like I didn't spend enough time watching him play last year. I got to watch the sophomore play Steph and Steph yeah. takes the first set seven, six. Like who Martins is so good. It, it's just how easy, how fluid everything is off of his racket. Like I'm, Chips are in. They're in. Like, I'm in on Hoot Martins. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, I like that you have no strong take in response. I'm just saying, like, this is my – This is he's the Clement Sheedek. Pac-12 school, you're not going to realize how good this guy is, but watch him play, and you're going to be like, oh, my God. 
Maybe. Yeah. I'm thinking a year away, maybe, but, but yeah, no, I, I, he's, he's good, but yeah. boy, he's going to be in the shadows of Steph and Murphy. Cassone. Yeah. He's got the opportunity to, to, to be there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well then with all that said, Chris, final thoughts before we wrap today. Hey, my only final thought, we couldn't have done this. If you, if you're still with us after an hour and 27 minutes and you're not following on Twitter, you deserve to know the site is back up and going. Everything's out there. The week ahead, week behind. Obviously, no rankings yet because we're not into computer rankings, but but everything's up. So get out to collegetennisranks.com and you'll see all the schedules. Makes it a lot. I know I was uh, everybody had been hounding me because there wasn't a good spot to find all the upcoming matches. And now you got it back. So uh, that's one check mark off the list. And now I can get to other things. Yeah, we are excited to have collegetennisranks.com back in our lives because no college season is complete without the access to the incredibly uh difficult work that and tireless work you do with no shine by the way because the day i pay chris i don't know who would be more offended me or him if i went to chris and i was like hey man here's a check you'd be like be like f off you'd be <laughs> like hey, we're not doing this right now um and so with all of that said a shout out to of course our super producer daniel westoff who deserves a way bigger check and as always has an f of a job to do with all of that said for our fantastic chris Hallioris, the professor the lean mean vegan machine our super producer daniel westoff our friends at both ls and swing vision and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, a reminder, you don't have to pause this time. You can get just right to it. What do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. 